Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Um, apologies in advance, I guess, the time I decided to record. There is a lawnmower violently going off in the background, so I'm sorry about that. But I did turn off the AC for you guys, so I tried to keep it, the audio as clean as possible. Um, what else is new? What else is new? Um we have been toying around with some fun different like episode ideas um beyond just sort of the five or six books that I read every week um especially tied into you know like revisiting important books from the past or maybe you know like young adult series that you forgot that you read that were like totally ahead of their time of your time you know maybe you read them when you were 10 you definitely like you know it was definitely meant for at least like 14 year olds um or maybe you know like nostalgic books from fifth grade that you forgot were like actually good um so i have oops sorry i'm looking for my water um i have some ideas we'll toy around with that and see uh you know flesh it out a little bit but if you have any suggestions or any topics that you would love to see me cover um not just you know the five mostly contemporary books that i read that week uh you know feel free to leave a comment email me dm me whatever method you choose before we get into this week's books figure we would also just start off with a fun little uh, you know, icebreaker um, for the episode, you know, get get the, the, the thoughts thinking and the mouth rolling. Um, for book-related questions, would you rather for book nerds? Um, I found this site from Bonafide Bookworm, which is 65 conversation questions about books and reading. Um, and we'd be here all day if we went through all of them. And I would be a multi melting pile of sweat if we did. But instead, we're just going to go through a few of the would you rather questions and I'll talk out my answers. So the first one is, would you rather read a book with terrible writing, but a good story or a book with a terrible story, but good writing? Oh, I mean, I got to just say from experience, terrible writing, but a good plot. I mean, I do think that you can have good write, you know, good writing elevates a story to be good enough that even if it's like the most mundane thing about like a woman getting her nails painted, that like the writing should be able to make that story good enough. Um, but I feel like writing can also always be improved if you have the bones of a good story. So I'm definitely going to go with, and also I've just read definitely more books that are like, oh, I'm like, oh, I didn't love the prose or I didn't love the writing style, but like I did love where it was going and I did love like if it had been fleshed out more, could have been great. Um, would you rather not be able to read any new books or not be able to reread any books ever again? Well, if you are a longtime listener of this show, I think you're going to know the answer, unfortunately, despite I do have, you know, my favorites, um, out there, but I just love to read so many new things that of course I'm going to have to choose the new books and hopefully if something is really great, then I can just look up a summary on Goodreads like I'm about to in a couple of minutes. Would you rather be able to only read the first page of a book or only read the last page of a book? Now, that is a really good question. I think, I guess, the first page, I mean, from both ends, you know, if you're only reading the first page or if you're only reading the last page, you can either draw your own conclusions about what's to come or what has come before. And while sometimes it's also like not even about the ending, it's about like how you got there. It's about the journey, not the destination. Um, I feel like I could then imagine a lot more things from the beginning, but maybe that would be also unsatisfying, but like knowing the end, but not knowing how you got there, any of the context, and sometimes the ending page isn't even like related to the book, but I feel like, um, 
there was an exercise in fourth grade that always stuck with me. It was like, okay, we were all sitting on the circle and the teacher's like, okay, so who wants, uh, we need some volunteers to read the first line of the book that they're reading for free read. And of course I chose a series of unfortunate events books. So the uh, initial sentence was like a paragraph long. Um, but since then it's always stuck with me just how important that opening sentence is. And while it might be something mundane or, you know, Scotty said, Gary went here, um, it really can set the tone for the whole book. And there can be such a great first sentence that doesn't, necessarily foreshadow a great rest of the book, but it can often, if you have a great first sentence, usually you're going to start off on a good pitch. And just because your first sentence isn't necessarily the most vivacious, wonderful thing, it's not necessarily going to start, you know, it's not a bad book. And I think, you know, it's not something we necessarily pay attention to is what exactly is the very first line of the book. But if you're cognizant about it, um, you know, next time you are picking up a book or go back and look through some of your favorite books and see if it's the first line that really sticks out for you or what is it about that book that makes it your favorite um, beyond just, you know, the first line, what really drew you in? Because oftentimes it takes, you know, we already either have the idea of the book in our head that we want to read. So we're, even if we don't find it to our liking or make it all the way through, chances are we'll make it at least past the first line. But like I said, that's such a big impression. And it's really interesting to go and see how different authors and different styles and genres approach uh, the first sentence. What a break. Um, so I think, you know, there's like 15 of these. And like I said, we could go on forever. But let me know if you liked that. Um, just been wanting to add some more stuff to these episodes beyond just the books I'm reading because while I can talk about them, you know, and give my thoughts, it does get a little bit repetitive, I guess, unless you're like really actually reading or hoping to take a lot of recommendations for these. But I also do appreciate, um, I have, you know, started to slowly but surely get some, you know, fa repeat fans who are not direct friends and family. Um, so if you are one of those people listening, thank you very much. I have enjoyed getting to know you and talking to you on Instagram and hearing your book recommendations. And I've added them to my lists and I'll get to them at some point. And if, if and when they are featured on the show, I will definitely shout you out. Um, but if you're new to the show, hey yo, always love to chat about books offline um, or online. If you're an author or have something you want to plug, also hit me up. Um, but without further ado, let us get into, again, cheating because recording this a little bit later and took a week off and apologies for the sporadic recording schedule. We will, uh, you should be getting a new episode in your feed slash YouTube subscription box, hopefully every week. What day and time that is may vary. It might be eight days or so, but as the Beatles said, Hold me, love me, eight days a week. Copyright. Okay, so our first book that we have is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. And this is kind of ironic that I'm starting with this one because I have to say I was not super into it in the beginning. It is a sweeping novel. And when I say sweeping, I mean that quite literally. It is a little over 600 pages. So this one did take me quite a few days to read because it is such a long, intense, heavy story. Um, and not heavy in the sense that there's, um, you know, a lot of like dark things happening, but heavy in the sense that there's just a lot happening and it's not it takes a little bit to sink in and the different points that go on in the book. Um, so in the beginning, I wasn't really quite sure where it was going. I knew that we were dovetailing between the perspectives of a modern day woman named Hedley Baxter, who is shooting this film in Los Angeles about a woman named Marion, who was uh, Marion Graves, who is the uh, female daredevil, daredevil aviator who, come to think of it, is this, I'm pretty sure this is... Um, you know, obviously they reference Amelia Earhart and real people, but I'm pretty sure the character of Marion is fictional or definitely based on somebody. And this, you know, I would consider it maybe, nah, it's fiction. I don't think it's, I mean, it's period piece and there's a lot of history in it. 
um, about aviation and about, uh, you know, we span prohibition and we span all different kinds of places, including Alaska and the Pacific Northwest and Europe and New Zealand and Los Angeles. Um, so Headley's story kind of dovetails with the actual Marion story. Um, and I do my complain about this maybe is because it started off a little bit headly light at the beginning and I was sort of like okay where is this going this is just another like failed actress or you know woman who's on the verge of losing her career in Los Angeles and not that I don't like those kinds of novels but um, I was interested to see how her story would really interplay with Marion's and Marion is really just such a fantastic character literally um, from birth she was rescued from a drowning boat in 1914 um and then it spans her entire life and how she goes on this um journey to uh fly across the globe from the north and south poles and goes missing and no one ever really knows what happens to her so headley's role is to sort of flesh out marion's story beyond what the public knows um and i honestly feel like that's my one complaint as i could have really done without her storyline because i just feel like marion's storyline is so rich and comprehensive that it spans uh enough without headley's perspective but i do think that that does help anchor us to the present day and remind us why this story is still important so kudos to maggie shipstead for really um a sweeping novel definitely reminded me a lot of middlesex just in terms um not in terms of the themes necessarily but in terms of the same literary styles of just sweeping historical moments and the everyday people who sort of become extraordinary in other people's minds and the you know the person behind the name so next we have things we lost to the water by eric Wynn. Um, so this one is about a Vietnamese family, a young mother and her two sons. They leave Vietnam because it's a very terrible lifestyle for them and they go to America. It's not much easier there for them to start out with. Um, they end up settling in New Orleans um, pre-Hurricane Katrina um, and then the novel kind of ends with the effect of Hurricane Katrina. That's not necessarily a spoiler because, you know, if, if you're in a novel where you're dealing with the chronology of time in one story that's not necessarily set in a specific year and you're moving to New Orleans, even though this is fictional, um, you know, Hurricane Katrina has got to come into play at some point. Also the title, Things We Lost to the Water. Um, but it's, you know, a story of how people adapt differently to change and to life in America. We get to see the mother's perspective. Her name is Huang. Um, we also get to see Tuan and Bin. Um, there are different perspectives too in the way that they adapt to growing up in America after having um, started off their lives in Vietnam. And it's very different the way that they adapt and change um, and the way that their relationship as a family adapts and change. So we really get to see, um, like I said, we end with Hurricane Katrina, but I believe that the novel starts in the early 90s. Um, so we definitely, you know, get the span of their lives, maybe even late 80s. Um, so definitely, um, while it, again, deals with some darker stuff, there is tragedy and loss and there is um, darkness that comes with Hurricane Katrina. Ultimately, it is also a story of how to maintain relationships with your family. And, you know, blood is literally thicker than water and what it means to be um, a member of a family that has gone through hardship while also trying to forge your own path and identity. Um, so it definitely, you know, while it doesn't sound like a lot happens, it's just, again, just interesting to get a peek, excuse me, into someone else's family and someone else's life, um, whether they're fictional or non-fictional. And Eric Wynn just does a really great job of developing those characters and making you feel and grow and change alongside them. 
So next, um, the next two, because again, I'm cheating and they're six, kind of go together. Um, they're both what I would call the stereotypical beach read in the sense that they um, take place mostly over the summer and in vacations and sort of lighter topics. Um, but they do, um, you know, while I definitely stuck to like this women's lit slash chick lit, um, which I think 10 years ago, maybe these authors would have been pigeonholed into. Now I would just, again, consider it part of the contemporary fiction that because of the nature of when it's released and sort of the marketing is definitely targeted to be a beach read, but could be just as enjoyable if you're listening to this six months from now or, you know, happen to add it to your Kindle and not get it to it till a year later, which has happened to me many times. Fun to read anytime, but as we are entering into summer and hopefully you're vaccinated and safe, um, the opportunities to go out to the beach and on vacations are definitely more plenty. And one of these books... One of the two books, but also all the books I mentioned here are great to bring in your tote bag. So first we have People We Meet on Vacation, which is definitely more of like a romance-heavy beach read. I feel like beach reads, you know, not necessarily, while they, they have this sort of like lighter quippiness, uh, Great Circle is definitely not what I would call the stereotypical beach read. It's probably like what I would bring to the beach because it could last me the entire day, <laughs> if not more, because that's 600 pages. And while these were both around 300, 400 page mark, um, they read much quicker and just not, you know, they're different kinds of writing and they're different kinds of stories, but that doesn't make them any less cool or less important. They're just different. Um, so people we meet on vacation, um, we're sort of immediately thrown into the story of Poppy and Alex, who are uh, just friends. <laughs> you know, uh, this story was also, I think, heavily inspired by When Harry Met Sally and tries to ask the question of can men and women ever really be friends um, from the moment that they start their friendship in college. There's clear that there's a sort of like sexual romantic tension between them. But for some, you know, various reasons, they're always at different points in their lives and they're never really able to maintain and take that relationship beyond the friendship level despite um, getting into both of their heads and knowing at least from the start that this is what Poppy kind of always wanted. And Al and then um, very early on in the novel, we find out that there was sort of a rift in their relationship that leads to them no longer speaking. And Poppy is sort of at this crossroads in her life where uh, rekindling and reconnecting that relationship with Alex sort of, sort of starts her off on this new road and this new path because she was definitely not happy in her life before. Um, so even though it's kind of, you know, you know they're going to end up together, you know that they're meant to be, it's just they're really well, uh, I always say well-developed, but Poppy and Alice were just really fun. And it was like, even though you knew they were going to get there, it was kind of like, you know, ah, you're just both, if you could only hear what the other one is thinking, or if you could only say what the other person, you know, wants you to say, then you guys would be perfect. But, you know, it's a comedy of errors and, you know, it's very realistic to what happens in real life. I know that while some of these circumstances in this fictional universe may be, of course, a little exaggerated, it's definitely a story that happens to a lot of people. And yes, men and women can just be friends, but when you start off that friendship, already, you know, with a secret desire, <laughs> even if that's a little bit subconscious, it's going to get messy. Um, but because they're able to have this really strong friendship to begin with, they get to know each other in different ways. And the way that their relationship develops is really beautiful and special and not exactly something that is easy to write. Um, so it definitely comes across really well. Next, we have That Summer by Jennifer Weiner. Jennifer Weiner is a freaking fantastic author, a longtime lover. I've her, you know, in good in bed and in her shoes and I can't even remember. Yeah, I've definitely even like talked about her on the podcast before. Mrs. Everything. Like I pretty much I think read everything she's read, including her memoir and the way that she grew up and learned to love writing and reading is really great. So I definitely recommend that if you haven't already. Um, that summer sort of is a little more like thrillery and 
you know, there's no, like, murders or anything terrible, but um, one of our main characters, Diana, suffers a horrific incident at the beginning of what's supposed to be, like, a wonderful summer as a teenager in Cape Cod. That incident sticks with her throughout her entire life. Um, and we flash back to her past on the Cape and sort of what happened to that as we combine with the present. And Diana is forging this relationship with this young woman named Daisy. And at first, we're not super sure, like, how their paths are going to intertwine because it's very clear that there's sort of, like, this two Diana's paths presented. And each one kind of represents some hopes and desires that the other one wishes that they could have had. And, you know, this sort of is the grass greener on the other side. Um, but we quickly find out that their paths are intertwined. Um, they're both really just like raw, nuanced, three-dimensional. While they may, you know, could easily be placed into boxes or stereotypes, they quickly defy these. Weiner is just so great at getting to know these women and getting to really get under their skin and make them come alive in the best ways possible. That really takes us from more than just a book to like a full like Like, you really feel like you're there that summer. And as somebody who's from the East Coast and grew up going to Cape Cod a lot of summers, um, I haven't been in at least five years pretty much since I moved here, I think. Um, It really evoked those memories and it really just, like, brought that summer landscape to life. And I know for some other people that's, like, the Hamptons or that's, you know, Lake Michigan or whatever. Um, So whether or not you are actually familiar with Cape Cod as somebody who did visit there and, you know, kind of grew up, I want to say grew up there. I mean, we went for like a week most summers, didn't have like a house or anything fancy. But it it was really special to see that part of the Cape come alive and be sort of its own character and backdrop to the Diana and Daisy story. All right. And next we have The Plot by Jean Honf Corlitz. And fun fact, Jean Honf Corlitz actually wrote a book called This Will Be My Undoing, which is what the, un- I think that's what it's called, right? Um, I say this as if I know the answer. Um, but she, her book became the t- HBO TV shorts, TV series, The Undoing, which especially now with the likes of Mayor of Easttown out, which at the time of release will have already finished and we will know who killed Aaron. And I'd love to know all your thoughts and theories about what you thought was going to happen and what actually happened, which future me will know, but current me doesn't. Um, So she wrote that. um, I do remember really liking the book when it came out, definitely more than the actual um, series, The Undoing. Um, So the plot is just a really good suspenseful thriller novel in a sense of, you know, there's that same like, is he going to get caught and will he pay for his crimes? But with the literary and the writing world and the price of fame in a way that is not always explored and always explored so so well. So our main character, Jacob Finch Bonner, wrote a book and that book blew up and became famous. And as a lot of people in the writing industry may know, okay, great, you publish your first book. Now it's almost like the expectations for the second book are even higher. And so he has failed to disappoint after a couple of other books. He sort of resigned himself to a career as an MFA professor, still kind of searching for like that next big novel and that next big thing. Um, But he's not really sure like what's that, what that's going to be feeling very stuck till all of a sudden a young man in his class presents this plot and this version of this book that he's working on that he's is almost too good to believe. Like, it's so wild and crazy. And most of the details aren't really divulged. Um, but it's, it's enough where the author, Jacob Finch, I mean, he thinks this is fi- fictional, of course, but he's like, okay, you know, maybe you really got something here. So there comes a point in his life where he is, uh, you know, maybe he thinks maybe he should, he should pick up that novel. He, he learns that in the time since um, his student 
graduated or left um, his class that nothing has ever been published and that the student is actually no longer really um, doing anything. So Jacob decides to publish this <laughs> this novel based on the, what he thinks is just this wild, crazy idea from his student. And lo and behold, um, the publishing of that book not only stirs the sense in the fact that like someone knows that this is not his idea and that he took it, but uh, the actual story behind the plot and the secrets behind it just keep unfolding. And yes, there were a couple of things that I definitely, you know, kind of saw coming, but it's not even really about that. It's just about how like one little innocent mistake or something that, you know, a white lie or a lie of omission or sort of, you know, he he wrote the book. He just didn't have the idea necessarily. And he figured the guy who had the idea isn't, you know, in the picture anymore. But um, it kind of, you know, questions, you know, who owns the authenticity of a story what is the ramific- what are the ramifications of posting a story or publishing a story that is not entirely yours and then the sort of thrillery elements that follow of course are a little bit fantastical because we're in this literary world but it's just super fascinating and the plot kept me going so the plot definitely one for all of you mystery thriller lovers and last but certainly not least we have the accidental suffragist by Galia Gichon um so i was actually able to score an advanced copy of this book, which is amazing. I was reached out to, I think, by the publishing company. They gave me an advanced copy of this book. I devoured it in one day. It's definitely a shorter novel. I think it's around like 200 pages. Also, I believe at the time that this episode comes out that it is on Kindle Unlimited. So if you have a subscription, you can actually grab that for free. Or if you do like to read your books on Kindle and you don't have Kindle Unlimited, I think it's only $4.99. So it's definitely a bargain. Um, As the title states, The Accidental Suffragist, our protagonist, Helen Fox, is a young mother who is kind of struggling. She has four children. Um, This is in the early 1900s until one day a tragedy befalls her eldest daughter. And that tragedy sort of spurns and startles her, changes her life through an accidental coincidence. She gets caught up in the suffragist movement. So through Helen Fox, we get to see pretty much the entire suffragist movement um, as it was in the early 1900s from 1913 to 1919, um, spanning World War I and how women were involved in that movement, as well as the perspective of different men involved in it who were left overseas and the way that her children evolve. Um, Definitely a lot happens in such a short amount of pages. Um, I would say my one, you know, complaint or gripe is that Helen almost felt like a little bit too sparse. And while this novel reads really quickly, so if you're looking for fast-paced, you know, historical-based fictional accounts, um, then definitely check this one out. But I do feel like because there was that sparseness and not a sense of rushing, but I, I understand the, the notion to start with one point in history and end with the other one. I also understand that Helen is sort of supposed to be the everyday woman. Um, She's not necessarily based on one woman in particular, but based on circumstances that real women had. Um, So I also understand the little, like the sense of anonymity and the sense that we don't, her thoughts and ideas don't always feel incredibly special or nuanced. I think that's almost part of the writing. Um, But I'm definitely, you know, it was captivating. It was interesting. I learned a lot about the women's suffragist movement from that time that I didn't know. Um, And it's very easily readable. I think it, like I, I said, it reminded me of um, if anyone read those like American Girl historical novels that kind of came alongside the dolls. You didn't have to purchase them, but they featured like the doll from that period and sort of a historical fictional novella about their life. Obviously, this is for adults. There's more mature subject and context, but it kind of felt that like that too. Like, let's explore history and let's like throw this one fictional person in there surrounding them with real people and see what happens. And then you get a good book like The Accidental Suffragists. So I'm sweating. I'm done with the episode. (laughs) 
<laughs> abrupt. Um, but thank you so much for listening. As always, let me know what you're reading, watching, enjoying, mostly reading, but everything. Um, and until next time, stay reading. Bye.